Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is March 20th, 2015. Today's burning issue is Japan's emerging consumption tax. We've been talking about burning issues in this series, and the idea is to enlarge the discussion on these kinds of topics globally and nationally. We tried a couple of different ways of doing this, first through a blog and then through a couple of breakfast briefings. Eventually, we settled on a podcast which included video and audio. So, for audio listeners, you can download on iTunes, and for the video, you can watch on YouTube. The particularly good aspect of YouTube is that you can add comments to the, the running dialogue that's going on. And the whole idea here is to engage you in a discussion. The topics that we choose are emerging, they're hot, they're really contemporary, and the ideas that we share here, although I'm joined with, with my collaborators, there are views, hopefully they're seeped in some sort of intelligence and background and some experience in the issues, but we're really doing this to engage you in this dialogue and to broaden it out. My name's Timothy Langley, and I'm joined with my colleague, Michael Chuchek. Michael Chuchek is adjunct fellow at the Temple University's Institute of Contemporary Asian Studies. He's also the author of the foremost blog on contemporary Japanese politics entitled Shisaku. You can download that as well. Michael, welcome to today's discussion. It's good to be back. We're talking today about Japan's consumption tax. This has been going on now for about、uh, 10 years. The discussion of raising this consumption tax to prepare for the base of Japan's famously aging population, the social services that are needed, the declining population. It's just a huge thing. They initially started out with 5%, and incrementally they're going up. There is a target that is set somehow by the OECD or by economists that say for a country like Japan to, to have sustainable development, it needs to have a tax base. Probably around 15%, 20%. It depends on who's making the comments and who's doing the analysis. What do you think about this? The consumption tax、uh, is a great economics story, certainly.、Uh, it's certainly, there are rules that one can cite in terms of economics. Unfortunately,、uh, here in Japan, and most likely anywhere, but most in Japan, more than perhaps anywhere else in the world, the consumption tax is a political story. And it has been a political story since the 1980s. The imposition of the tax when it first started、uh, was extremely unpopular、uh, because the, while people understood that they needed to expand the tax base, there was a small tax base basically on white collar workers and some blue collar workers. But most people managed through various means to get out from paying income taxes. The, Consumption tax was to bring in all kinds of citizens into paying a single tax rate.、Uh, that really upset a lot of people. And it, for the, ill,、uh, the ruling LDP, the party that's in power, it has been their major,、uh, well, you want, might call it a millstone around their neck.、Mm -hmm. All along through the, first the imposition of the tax and then the various rate hikes. It has always been very difficult to raise the, the, raise the tax, much more difficult than it is for some reason in OEC, other OECD countries where there's a VAT or there's a sales tax, as in the United States. There, the rates are much higher for the most part,、uh, and 
they're, yet they're not hugely political and they're not seen as detrimental to the economy. Here in Japan, however, it's quite different. Well, it's kind of like um, disaster mitigation. You usually implement disaster mitigation when you're in a disaster. And it's a little bit too late for that. Um, people need to have plans and programs in place before something like that happens. And similarly, with Japan, during the bubble era, nobody was thinking about consumption tax or building the base. In fact, nobody was really even talking about the declining population. They could see this years, years ago. Uh, the declining population and also the, the explosion of um, not geriatrics, but including the, geriatrics. The number of retirees. The re number of retirees who are reducing the, the number of people who can contribute to the tax base through consumption and, and just being a, a contributor to the economic engine, but uh, also the number of children who are being produced, who are going through college, who are entering the workforce as well. The, the question always has been, what's the right mix between income taxes, both on individuals and, in, and corporations, and the consumption tax? The consumption tax is basically a baby of the uh, ministries and mm -hmm. the bureaucrats within the ministries. They have a long-term perspective and a very conservative one. They don't like to have surprises. And so they've been pushing very hard in the background uh, through either direct appeals to uh, the minister or to the vice ministers, or through various fora, the, the shingikai, the advisory councils that are put together in order to advise the ministries and advise the prime minister on how to, what kind of policies to do, or even uh, out once they're out of the bureaucracy, reports, uh, think tank briefings, all these things. They use this to sell this idea that Japan needs a first needs a consumption tax, and then needs a very high one. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's been a terrible, not only a terrible sell in terms of getting people to do it, but in a something that's been rather difficult to understand. The Japanese economy is extremely fragile in ways that are hard to predict in some ways and hard to justify. For some reason, for example, in this last year, when the consumption tax was raised 3% from 5% to 8%, the resulting economic damage to Japan was staggering. And we ended up the year with negative uh, economic growth, which nobody had foreseen. But for some reason, the loss of confidence that uh, the raising of the tax uh, engenders has ripple effects through the economy that everybody always gets wrong. Mm -hmm. And this has happened every time the tax has been raised. And the tax is going to be raised once again. In April of 2017, that's when Mr. Abe has said, We're, I have delayed the tax rise that suppo was supposed to happen this year in October. I'm going to delay it until April 2017. And that's final. I'm not going to change it again. Honest. Well, we'll see about that. But even if he keeps his promise, the pattern has always been a huge buildup of purchases just before the tax goes up, and then a staggering fall in consumption, in retail sales, and in GDP, 
way out of proportion to the actual damage that the tax should be actually doing upon confidence and upon the economy as a whole. Well, nobody really wants to pay taxes, but people like, you know, the the healthcare system that Japan is is famous for. They like the support that is based a basic structure of of Japanese culture, but it is it is always unpopular. Um, but it's not going to stop at eight or ten percent. It's going to continue on, and some estimates it's fifteen, twenty, twenty-five percent. Eventually, you're going to be a very unpopular person in in Japan. Uh, Nobody in the government is talking seriously about anything beyond the 10% rise in 2017. At least no politician is. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the bureaucrats are, and and, and that's their business. Uh, They don't have to worry about being fired by the people, which all politicians do. And for every party, this was true not only for the LDP, but for the DPJ when it was in power, Mm -hmm. when the party that's in power votes for a rise in the consumption tax. It gets hammered in the next national election that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened to the LDP twice, and I believe it happened the first time also when it was the tax was first imposed at a 3% rate, way, ba- way, way back when, long time ago. Uh, each time when it went to 5, when it, it went to 8, th- th- when these votes were, happened, the party in power got hammered. Mm-hmm. And uh, who wants to go through that? Mm. Well, the, the administration is also suffering its own difficulties, even now having pulled back. Imagine what it would have been like had the prime minister stuck to his guns and implemented the tax, you know, uh, damn the torpedoes. Well, sir, the, the economy seems to be on a recovery path, finally. There's some really good news on, that, that came out this week in terms of uh, commercial land prices, which have been falling since the 19, late 1980s, in uh, a constant slide that has destroyed uh, the value of many people, well, much of the, the personal wealth of many individuals has eroded away through these land price falls. That seems to have stopped, which was very, if it's true, is very good news. Uh, there are interesting signs in terms of this week's uh, negotiations of Shunto spring offensive labor agreements on wage rises. Right. Toyota announced just this last week that they were going to increase it an enormous sum. Yeah, it's an enormous sum. Uh, but the question is, is it enormous sum in terms of, of percentages? Mm-hmm. What The figure, when the, the newspaper's printed, looks big. But as compared to what they're already receiving, is it really a huge rise or is it somewhere in the the order of 1%? Is it even making up for the rise in the consumption tax? In most cases, no, because the consumption tax rose 3%. -hmm. There's very unlikely that a person in April of this year will be making, in real terms, what they were making in April of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it's, it's just it's not very likely unless they're in some kind of uh, high growth industry where which is pushing wages up at a four or five percent rate. Well, one one of the really um, important things of this dialogue that we're having is that hopefully we integrate things that perhaps don't seem to be related but are related. And uh, the the economy here in Japan is so huge it it dominates all of Asia. It's one of the top three in the the entire world. So things that happen here, even at a, at a small level. So for example, 
Um, the fact that Toyota, the largest manufacturer in Japan, raises wages. People have been waiting for this signal, for, for the uh, wage rates to go up because um, for, for all the power that Abenomics potentially has, if you don't raise the wages, it's, it's not really going to take off. Mr. Abe, when he first introduced Abenomics, and, and when he first introduced it, it wasn't called Abenomics. Eventually, pundits called it that. He had this circle of a virtuous circle. Virtuous he circle, called, right. He called it, where we would have vast expansions of the money supply, uh, vast increases in public fiscal works. spending, yeah, and f- public works, uh, and that uh, in, would engender inflation in, to a certain extent, but what to make the whole circle go round, you needed to have the companies raise wages. Raise, raising wages would mean that they could charge hard, or they have to charge higher prices on their goods. The higher prices on their goods allow them to hide, pretty much, uh, taking a little bit more off the top, getting a little more profit. That at that point, they pay they pay more taxes, corporate taxes, into the system. Then the government's balance sheet is better even despite the large expansions in the BOJ's balance sheet and also the increased fiscal spending, it all works out. It's, it's actually huger than that. It is far more important. If you don't pay people a fair wage, a wage where they feel I- enthusiastic about their future, number one, they're not going to have children because they, they're, they're concerned about what's going to happen to their future. And number two, they're not going to spend money. I mean, there is a lot of pent-up um, uh, uh, purchase um, frustration here, oh, yeah. where, where people want to buy, but they, they're insecure about the, the future. And so the engine has not really kind of taken off. There's a whole bunch of things that go into that. And it's certainly the case that having confidence in the future is vital. Yes. And to a certain extent, those who are in permanent employment have always had a certain degree of confidence. That's one of the things that people probably don't understand about Japan is that when there are permanent workers and temporary workers. It's not as though there's some kind of, uh, you're, you have some people that you can let go easily and others that you can't let go so easily. It's much more than that. The permanent workers, it's like an asset. Yes. It's like you can get a loan. You can get married because people will entrust their, their children to you. It's so vital mm-hmm. for social stability. And yet, during the, the, the 1990s and the 2000s, Labor market reforms made it easier to hire temps. Mm-hmm. And temps grew as a percentage. And now there are more than a third of all workers are on temporary contracts. And the thing is that once young people get into this temporary mode, they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Basically, in Japanese economic life, if you don't get a permanent position out of college, you're really, really in trouble. Mm-hmm. But we have a whole generation of individuals who have never been in permanent employment, have always been on temporary contracts. And even if you're in a temporary contract and you're paid well, and and wages for temporary workers have gone up significantly, and, and you can see the anecdotal evidence here in Tokyo of, let's say, restaurant workers or, or people at supermarkets, the, the, the wages that are demanded, you can see it posted on the walls, they've soared mm-hmm. in, in two years. But those people, even though they have more money, they're not in a social position mm-hmm. and also in a personal position to spend more. Yeah. Well, it's, it's frequently said that when the United States gets a cold, 
Japan starts sneezing. And is that the right way? Yeah, well, something happens to Japan that's not very good. It, certainly, yes. certainly the effects of the 2008 uh, global economic crisis were felt worst in Japan than anywhere else mm -hmm. in the world, even though Japan's banks were safe. Yes, well, um, the, the social compact that you're talking about where the employers hire workers and dotes on them and treats them as part of their, their circle of family, I mean, traditionally that was how it was portrayed. Was portrayed. Yeah. Um, even though it's a, only a very small percentage, it's the concept of that, it's the aim that I think people aspire to as employees and also the, the story that employ, em, employees, it's, it's the uh, employers who want to convey that to their workers so that you will, you will join me, you will stay with me, I will take care of you. Um, that social compact has really broken down. It's broken down a lot in the United States where at will is predominant throughout most mm. of the states. Mm. And here it's not at will. I mean, it's either a contractor or a, a, a long-term, not long-term, a, a permanent employee. Yeah. Um, there, there are signs that that's breaking down as well. I mean, people are being let off um, somewhat willy-nilly in, in industries that are, are suffering. You know, the, one of the issues is, is that there's an international standards that are being applied to Japan that may not be functionally effective. Right. Uh, you, you hear a lot and you've heard a lot from the Abe administration regarding labor reform and one of the big bills of this uh, current diet session is the creation of a special category of individuals who are on contracts but cannot be given or cannot be paid uh, overtime but they can be made to do overtime. Mm -hmm. And it's a special class and it's above a certain income level, which is quite high, well above the national median. But this erosion of the concept of the permanent worker is very frightening to a lot of people. And the opposition parties uh, just pile up on, on the government whenever any kind of change to the way permanent workers are treated is ever voiced. But international investors and the international community press very hard on Japan, saying, your labor systems are archaic, they're frozen, you can't fire anybody, no one's going to do direct investment in your country, change it. So mm -hmm. that the government, no matter what it is, whether it's LDP or DPJ or, or whatever, always is vacillating and stuck between these two international and domestic forces. Well, this is our seventh series in Tokyo on Fire. Um, earlier in one of the series, we were talking about TPP. Mm. And certainly with TP, the inclusion of TPP, uh, assuming that Japan joins the, uh, the TPP um, negotiations and signs off with the other countries, there's going to be more and more of this. And it's true that hiring people in Japan, especially for foreign companies, uh, setting up a business here, it is fraught with difficulties because it is, it, it's somewhat of an outlier um, with regard to companies dealing globally. Uh, some of the rules and regulations here are uh, rather old-fashioned. Um, they, they match the Japanese culture, and not many people are that very familiar with it. No, and, but I remember once listening to an Indian economist say, well, the rules are there. Too bad. Those are the rules. If you want to play in the Japanese market, you have to play by the Japanese rules. Right. What's the problem? Mm -hmm. uh, but for our many uh, international investors, it is a problem. And for many international businesses, it is a problem because it puts their personnel decisions and sure. personnel departments 
in a strange bind where they have to have a special category of hiring and firing and, and promotion, all these things just for Japan. Well, structural reform is the third arrow. Right. And unless there is structural reform, you're not going to have this infusion of foreign capital setting up new operations. Um, people who are not working in, in permanent capacities in, inside Japanese companies, they are freelancers or they've set up their own companies developing like in what happened in Silicon Valley, taking their own ideas, investing their own money, building you know, new and marvelous applications, games, products. Hmm. Uh, that, is, that is also being retarded as well. It's true. There's the, but I think you have to, to talk about two different things. Well, the first is the international uh, business, well, I guess you call it environment, where you have a certain set of standard rules around, all around the globe. Mm -hmm. Japan has always resisted that and as just part of its way of, of interacting with the globe. And yes, there are certain cultural aspects, there are certain economic aspects uh, to that resistance. But you're right, it has had a restrictive effect. But what a lot of people say is, look, we have a shrinking youth population. We have, okay, the people, they just did it recently, did the census, and uh, in terms of, let's say, 18 and 19-year-olds, we have a cohort of 2.4 million coming in to the, who will become saging in the next two years, the smallest cohort ever. Uh, they're saying, look, we have sm fewer and fewer young people, mm -hmm. and there's plenty of jobs for them. We have now, right now, the highest level of jobs per job seeker that we have had in 25 years. Uh, it's a simply, there are so many positions available, maybe not at the salaries people want, but they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, they're saying, look, we have fewer and fewer possible workers and more and more jobs available. What do we need international business people to come in for? There's nothing there. <laughs> All that's going to happen is that the, the, the freedoms and the protections that we have already enjoyed and want to keep will be eroded. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there is something to say for protecting the Japanness of Japan, yeah. the, the cultural aspects. But the Japanness of the champ Japan is the second point I want to bring up, which is permanent employment has been a killer for innovation. Mm -hmm. it is, it's great for companies that have the ability to bank some of their inventions and their, take their researchers and hold on to them for years and years and years, hold on to inventions, hold on to patents. Japanese corporations used to be the world leader in patents year in, year out, because they were just, the major corporations were just churning them out. Uh, nevertheless, try to name a major, I guess, let's say, a, a computer firm. Or a service a, provider. A, or a computer services provider that was founded in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. No, Japan doesn't produce these companies. You can name dozens, hundreds of companies, not only in the U.S. Well, and Silicon Valley, which where it's all famous, but all over the globe, and especially in, in Europe as well. This, you know, so it's it's a devastating effect. People don't want to leave their permanent positions because it's a social value. It is a security. It's a security, mm -hmm. and they they work very hard in terms of getting recruited into the company when they're just out of college, or maybe sometimes just out of high school, they don't want to ever break out. There's no such thing as 40-year-old entrepreneurs breaking out. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 what has happened, of course, is that Japan's innovation 
uh, rate has gone down. And it's certainly in terms of creating new companies, it's almost zero. We just had, for example, the election of a new set of vice presidents for the Keidanren, the Japan's major, uh, well, the, 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 the top business lobby. Not one of the 13 new individuals, I think it's 13, uh, the new managers that were elected as vice presidents to the board, not one of them was from a company that was under 100 years of age. The youngest company was 102. If you don't have in your business lobby people who have a lifetime of innovation behind them and taking on the rules and breaking the rules or bending them, whatever, your economy is going to be sclerotic. Mm -hmm. Well, it has been. I mean, for the last 20 years, Japan is still trying to dig itself out of a, a long-time depression. Economists from all over the world are, are trying to study. How, how has this happened and how can they get out of it? They've tried different things. Um, they've studied different examples uh, internationally and come up with some good ideas. I think um, maybe with, with luck, Abe will be successful in, in bringing the company out of this and in interjecting a, a little bit more energy. Um, uh, he's tried. He's and that's, that's the whole thing behind Abenomics. Abenomics is the test case for uh, Italy, for, 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 all, all over the world. That's right. Any place where there has been an unusual and an unnecessary contraction of the economy and where uh, contractionary policies, cutting budgets, cutting spending, uh, reducing the number of public servants, that kind of action has taken hold as an ideology. Japan with abnomics is trying to do the exact opposite and show that it works. Mm -hmm. It's possible, however, that Japan's the worst place in the world to do it. And that's due to the various structural problems that the third arrow, which is still not coming out, uh, is supposed to, to deal with. Mm -hmm. Which brings us back to the consumption tax. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about why this is a burning issue for us today. It's a burning issue because the party that is most likely, well, the party that ha holds the, the, the sort of the leverage on the government is the Komeito. The Komeito. Party of the people. Well, they, call, they think of themselves as the party of the people. Their first uh, self-image was the party of peace. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a party based, uh, was, that was originally founded by the Soka Gakkai uh, lay Buddhist order. And this was in the 1960s. The party and the religious order split in the 1970s. Uh, but basically everyone who votes Komeito, by and large, uh, is a member of the Soka Gakkai. Now, inside the Soka Gakkai, it's a very interesting religion. The powerful, powerful voices are of women, and particularly older married women. And surprise, surprise, the people who go to the supermarket and go shopping don't like the consumption tax. Mm. So it's a burning issue now is we have to go through this consumption tax raise, according to Mr. Abe in 2017. Luckily, 2017 is past the 2016 House of Councillors elections. So whatever happens, it'll be after the elections, so it won't hurt the LDP and its coalition partner, the Komeito. But the Komeito's playing hardball because the, the ladies, the married ladies division says it doesn't want to pay more. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like in any Japanese meeting that you might ever want to attend. 
the media. Nobody wants to do that. Well, I, I mean, fa face it. Sure. <laughs> but, 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 nobody wants to. They do attend. But, but the thing about it is that anything that you're going to discuss in, a, in a, that kind of a meeting has been discussed to death earlier. Decisions have already been made, and then you hold the meeting, right? So similarly, all of the things that are being decided now, all of the things that are being discussed on the consumption tax, on splitting the consumption tax, do we include uh, food and drink? Do we include newspaper? Do we include rice? Do we include uh, lots of different things? And in other countries who have gone through the same sort of uh, pain have divided it up and some things will be taxable and some things will not be taxable. All of those discussions are going on right now. The thing is, there, there are two streams out of that. The first is that a lot of those countries where they do have special rates for special products, they found, surprise, surprise, it distorts spending, it distorts investment, it distorts the way uh, people behave. Mm -hmm. And many of the governments are now thinking, you know, that was kind of stupid to do that. Mm -hmm. We should have had just a simple, single tax rate and then let make pe people make economic decisions based on a completely neutral, playing, flat playing field. Sure, that's easy for the administrators. But the fact is that th the real pain of paying a consumption tax is on the lower income people. That's true. And again, that is where the new, that's where the Cometo comes in. The Cometo started out, though it's a little bit more pro prosperous now, it started out as a religious order that attracted the young urban migrants who were mm -hmm. very poor coming in from the countryside in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, they were pulled into the religion. So they have a very, very conservative, very, very cramped view, and many times they're not very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And the cons consumption tax really hurt, hits them, and it really hits them psychologically and often right in their pocketbooks because they're, they're not among the wealthiest people. Well, you and I have been here for a long time. We, we have friends, we have family who are members of Cometo. We, we know how they live. We know that they... Essentially, they tied. Uh, people contribute to the the organization, the the, the religion. The Sororka, yeah. Yes, and so it is a, a it's a major component. I mean, you can't say that you understand Japanese culture and 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 the texture of, of Japanese society without understanding the role that Komeito plays politically and economically. It's 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 huge. But it, we have up until now. In uh, finally, uh, a new book has been released, and it was released in the fall of last year. Uh, by, uh, led, by a group of scholars led by Stephen Reed of Chuo Daigaku, Chuo University, which has finally looked at the Kometo not as this strange boogeyman, which mm -hmm. is the way that all of the weekly magazines look at it, as a, as a cult, as a, as a dangerous uh, pseudo-fascist group who do nefarious things. It's looked at the party in an honest, open way. And that book has only just become available in the English language. And it probably will be translated into Japanese because it is so fair to, mm -hmm. the, to this party, which has otherwise been ignored. And it's strange that it's been ignored because it's been the coalition partner of the LDP since the 1990s. It is 8 million votes, 7 or 8 million votes every election, and they're going to show up and, and they, they vote. Do, and they vote. 90% or more rates, North Korean levels. We're talking real voting strength there. Mm -hmm. And the LDP in its last few elections, one quarter of the votes, by and large, that it received in the district elections can be in some way attributable to Komeito voters. Okay. So the LDP is bound to these people, cannot get rid of them.
mm-hmm. uh, and cannot possibly say, oh, we have friends elsewhere. And that's particularly true because of the collapse of the far-right parties in the last election. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they have, they're bound to the Komeito, and the Komeito is the tail that wags the dog sure. here. But there's still a distinct delineation between Jiminto and Komeito, right? And Jiminto is in power. It is the guerrilla that occupies the main seat. It does need Komeito for uh, swing votes, and it has shared some of the power with Komeito. The biggest issue facing the Abe administration, I think Mr. Abe has taken a, a, a personal challenge to it, is the defense spending and the, the, um, the, ex- the, the uh, projection of Japanese military might, at least regionally. And I think that there is probably a little bit of horse trading that needs to go on. If he's going to get his way on that big issue, he's got to give up a little bit on the tax issue. They've committed to the tax. It is going to go from 8 to 10%. But to take care of the consumer issues, for example, foodstuffs, that sort of thing, breaking it up, I mean, the administration um, power, power of, of Japan is its famous. I mean, the the... Uh, bureaucracy, the bureaucracy here really manages everything. And the fact that they didn't hit their numbers in the last reiteration is shocking to me because of anything that a government does, it probably does tax collection and tax analysis the best because it is, it's relatively non-adversarial. It's just, you you have to pay this tax. Everybody's agreed to it. It's on the law. If you don't, we will take over your land. We'll take over your property. We'll raid your bank accounts. Yeah. Well, the consumption tax, they really can't do anything much against you. You, If you don't buy anything, you don't pay the tax. Right. Uh, They they can't have that either. That's the problem. When people don't buy anything, there goes the economy. Uh, But the the trade-off regarding defense spending is one that probably people don't think about. I certainly have not thought about it Mm -hmm. enough. But certainly, indeed, if Abe wants to work on his security... He's got to give something up. His security program costs money. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can budget it, but if you're going to put things in the budget, they have to be paid for. And if it's paid for out of people's... You know, what they pay at, at the supermarket checkout stand in terms of taxes directly, immediately in front of them, and it's a really right-in-their-face kind of action, uh, there's going to have to be a trade-off, particularly with the ladies of, of the Sokagakkai. Mm. Now, in terms of anything beyond that, in terms of pay, actually starting to pay for the social costs and paying for the health care costs of this vast group of baby boomers that are coming through the system. They're, they're now finally leaving the labor force. Uh, well, you say finally. It's, 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 it's really problematic that they're leaving the labor force. A lot of them are staying on their companies at, on temporary contracts. A lot of them are, are taking part-time jobs. But all these people have to be paid for. And mm-hmm. the, the number of, of workers is simply not going to be large enough in terms of income taxes. So the consumption tax has to go up, yes. is the way people portray the, the story. Well, um, people also aren't getting married. And before you have children, typically you get married first. And so there's a, there is this cycle that's going on. And um, there's an interesting statistic that um, it's, it's somewhat humorous, but I think it's really telling that um, did you know that there are more dogs in Japan than there are children? And when I'm saying dogs, I'm talking about the dogs that people walk around and they dress up in nice outfits and they put them in 
not baby carriages, dog carriages, and you see them all over. It's a huge industry. Yeah, and I actually did know that. Uh, and it's not surprising if you consider the number of households in the country and also Japanese attitudes towards pets. Mm -hmm. But certainly, what are large growth industries, toys, diapers, etc., in other countries, are here con contracting mm -hmm. stories. Diapers are a special case because we have uh, special adult-sized diapers for, for an increasingly large incontinent senior citizen cohort. Uh, and you, you're seeing the ads a lot now on television, which you didn't see a few years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, you can see the social transformation that's taking place, in, for example, in, through advertising. The, the government's role in all of this, of course, should be, let's be responsible. You know, let's pay for, let's be prepared to pay for these things. But it's been almost impossible to, to talk seriously about the future. Mm. And it's, it's been very difficult under this current administration, which took what was a strength of Japan, which was its fiscal and, well, not fiscal conservatism. If you look at the, the, the amount of the budgets that is paid with tax receipts and the amount that is done through bond issuance, you're... you're you, 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 you lose your, your, your cookies at looking at the numbers there. But in terms of the management of the currency, the management of the various assets of the Bank of Japan, it was very conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, that conservatism is out the window. And, and what anything is valued right now is, is very, very much in the air. Now, there are people who predict catastrophe. There are people who can predict muddling through. But the government has completely... Just simply given up on trying to play the parent in all of this, to be the, the mature adult voice. There's nobody who does that. And the people who tried, like Noda Yoshihiko, the last of the DPJ prime ministers, who tried to portray himself as a level headed thinking person, uh, his party was destroyed in mm. the 2012 election, just completely wiped out. So there's no political incentive there. One of the great things about living in, in Japan, and I know you've experienced it as well, is that you can live here for even a brief period of time, a year, two or three years, and before your very eyes, you see things happen at a structural level that really dynamically change um, how business is done, um, how, how traffic flows, how, how the city, the center of the city actually uh, begins to, to shift throughout, throughout town. Um, and... Uh, these changes, sometimes they're, they're so slow that when we live here, we only notice them in retrospect after, after having seen it for um, a while and then all of a sudden it just kind of, it kind of grabs us. What do you think in the next, let's say, six months, in the very short term, is going to happen with regard to the consumption tax issue and the impact of the consumption tax that's going to hit the radars and you and I are going to acknowledge that, gosh, we didn't see this coming in. Hasn't that been rather interesting? But what you're asking me is, what is it that we don't see that I can see? Right. Uh, if we can't see it right now, I, I'm not going to be able to comment on that, obviously. But I can see somewhere in the future, within the near future, with even, even six months, that there could be a crisis in economics. Mm -hmm. And when I mean a crisis in economics, I don't mean a co economic collapse. I mean simply... That the follow through, 
Right. Well, it, it's, it's the, the matching up between the rhetoric, the predictions, and what actually happens in the economy. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of things being thrown in, including the kitchen sink. We have fiscal easing. We have monetary easing. We now have also uh, the GPIF, the, the, the pensions fund, is changing the way that it allocates its, its investments so that it's buying more stocks. Maybe perhaps even agriculture. No, whatever it is. In this case, in the, but in some way, what we're seeing here is the Abe administration is gaming the system. Mm -hmm. They're gaming the system, loose money, loose spending, and then having the, the GPIF and other pension funds and other big funds jumping into the stock market and pushing up prices very high so that it's the appearance of prosperity, but all that it is is simply injecting money in there, what was called a price-keeping operation, PKO, mm -hmm. in the 1990s. That these PKOs are happening, making it look as though the economy is getting better when underneath there's really no engine for growth. There's just a simple reallocation of going on that there aren't good companies that are being invested in. This, that, that, that can appear in a six-month time frame. Mm -hmm. And at that point, lo and behold, we're right on the edge of the LDP presidential election which happens in September of this year. Bad timing. Bad timing, very bad timing. And so you, you probably will see a lot of ways, if they can figure out how to get past the impasse of April, for the government to try to really push to get good economic numbers mm -hmm. so that there isn't a challenge against Abe. Right now, there's nobody really on the horizon in terms of taking on Abe in the presidential election for the LDP in September. But that could change. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it's, it is, is the problem. Because so far, the Bank of Japan has com lo completely lost uh, its credibility in terms of its inflation targets. Inflation's basically at 0%. It was supposed to be at 2%, 2 at this right. time. They promised that they would do it. Of course, there are extenu extenuating factors like the worldwide collapse in the price of oil. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, if you say you're going to do something, you had better do it. Right. And they haven't been able to do it. Uh, Despite the fact that we've you know, had all this noise about the third arrow, the third arrow reforms have not in excited the international investors in international markets, and they've not excited domestic investors in domestic markets. So at some point, you'd think the, the rhetoric, they have to pay for the rhetoric that they've used. Right. Well, if you watch the yen dollar uh, exchange rate, too, the, the yen keeps getting uh, less and less valuable. Um, it makes things uh, far more expensive to produce and to um, to purchase from overseas. Uh, the inputs to production to purchase those and to get the engine going here. For the export market, it is good. But the fact is, is that the people who have money in this country always have money. And those who don't, it's just beginning to, to become bigger and bigger and including more and more consumers. People who are not on the uh, permanent um, employee list, uh, the fritas, uh, the the people who are working and the retirees so the, and retirees so the people who consume less by nature mm -hmm. and who don't have, in the case of the freeders the, or the the people in temporary work don't have sufficient savings uh, don't have a cushion uh, the the population the percentage of the total population that they represent is you're right it's it's growing at which point you say well maybe 
maybe it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Maybe this the abnormalics experiment is not going to work, and then the loss of confidence in that is a, a huge crisis that may take place. Nobody's talking about that. Well, no one it's, would. It's no, no one would talk about that because if you were in the, the finance industry, uh, the, your co- your colleagues would hang you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you don't want to talk about bad times. You only talk about good times and good opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's normal. Uh, you're never going to find in any of the uh, finance news networks. Uh, predictions of economic collapse because th- that's not what their readership wants to read. Well, is it kind of like muddling along? Because I get a sense that uh, there's really there are so many decision points to be made between now and when the consumption tax is supposed to kick in in April of 2017. There are a lot of decision points that can be made. We will know the answer to that at the end of this year. But there's a lot that can happen in the meantime, too, there is no real, um, on the horizon, um, aspect or, or event that is being predicted that will come up and inject the economy or inject the population. We've got but, the Olympics. But, but, but they're talking about, for example, they are talking about the Japan Post IPO. Mm-hmm. When that entity goes public and, and provide, it will be almost certainly the largest IPO ever in history. Much larger than the Alibaba one in China. Hugest bank in the world. This is the biggest, world's biggest bank. has 1.7 trillion yen, I mean trillion dollars, I'm sorry, 1.7 trillion dollars in assets. It's simply the largest financial institution in the world, no question. Uh, and everybody will have to have it in their portfolio. So it'll, it'll be part of everyone's allocations, and it will be huge. Mm-hmm. And people talk about that as the vanguard But the thing is, the proceeds from that sale are already budgeted. Mm -hmm. They're already budgeted for reconstructing the Tohoku. If you look at the the way that they've uh, divvied up the way that that, uh, Mr. Abe's most recent promises regarding reconstruction of the Tohoku after the triple disaster are are put in, the, the, the chunk that comes from the post office is huge. That's assuming that they can sell the post office shares at a great price, but it's already it's already spent. Mm-hmm. It's already t- accounted for. It's not as though it's going to be that those proceeds are going to be taken and going to be reducing Japan's debt, for example. Right. Uh, that's not going to happen. But the story is what's important. The narrative mm-hmm. and a narrative of IPOs that all these uh, either corporations that are owned by the government or uh, divisions of companies mm-hmm. that are worth hiving off and making, making them private ent- enterprises that are then brought out as IPOs. That's a narrative that interests the world's bankers and certainly one that they're going to pr- try promoting, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Well, undoubtedly, the most difficult of the three arrows is the one that hasn't been really approached yet. That is structural reform. Japan is famous for being a managed economy The power is centralized in Tokyo, and it is centralized in Tokyo within the various ministries who have domain over special aspects of the Japanese economy, in particular the Ministry of Trade and Industry that is managing the the regulations and the rules, but also the the finance ministry, uh, the Ministry of Justice, and that sort of thing. Um, Releasing uh, the, the requirements is always going to involve somebody else not getting what they were 
typically getting, what they were comfortable with getting, and actually redistributing that. That, yeah. that, that could engender uh, a whole birth of new industries and, and new energy into the economy, but people are going to be damaged from that as well. That's always the case with structural reform. Right. It, the, the story of structural reform is that it is deflationary and depressive in the short term, but it's for future growth. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the Abenomics story so far has been sugar first, then, right. then the bitterness. Mm -hmm. uh, you're supposed to have the bitterness first and then the sugar. Uh, the sugar was monetary easing and, and fiscal spending, and now we're, all we have left is the bitterness. Mm -hmm. uh, if they do real structural reform, the economy will contract, mm. and, right. and, and there will be deflation. And we're, we don't even have inflation after the Bank of Japan opening all the spigots. We're back at zero again. Kind of out of breath, and you have to swim another 20 yeah, yards underwater. It, it's, it's the timing, the, the, the sequencing has been terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay. So people talk about the third arrow and talk about the failure of the third arrow. Well, it's, a, it's almost water under the bridge now. Mm -hmm. You really can't go anywhere. Uh, if you do it, if you do real structural reform, people are going to get hurt, and it'll hurt confidence. Mm. Okay, well, with that dour assessment, I'd like to draw today's discussion to a close. You've been watching Tokyo on fire. Today's burning issue has been Japan's consumption tax. If you'd like to provide a comment to us, you can do that in one of two ways. You can either access us on Twitter using hashtag TokyoOnFire, or via email, just post your comment to comments at TokyoOnFire.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for next week. Thank you very much.